This is Appearance Matters, the podcast. The Appearance Psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And today we're going to be talking about cosmetic surgery. Yes, we're going to talk about global industry trends, discuss the reasons why people decide to get cosmetic surgery, as well as the importance of psychological support and assessment. And to help us, we are going to be joined by three cosmetic surgery experts, CARS Dr Nicole Paraskeva, clinical psychologist Dr Francesca Nobli, and plastic surgeon Dr Nigel Mercer. Plus, we will also hear clips from Elena Rossini's brand new film, The Illusionists. The young person who doesn't find her image represented, but sees thousands of images that conform to a certain way every week will begin to feel that that is the kind of body that she would like to have. And so she will consider what are the steps that I need to take in order to have that body for myself. Do I need to go and get bigger breasts? Do I need to change my nose? Do I need to lengthen my legs? Do I need to have an eye operation? And the body then becomes, for that individual, and it's experienced individually, as her body is inadequate and needs transformation, and it needs work on it. That was esteemed writer and feminist Dr Susie Allback, and a clip taken from The Illusionists. A feature-length documentary about the marketing of unattainable beauty ideals around the world. The Illusionist is created by Italian filmmaker, photographer, social entrepreneur, public speaker and friend of the podcast, Eleanor Rossini. You may remember Eleanor from our episode on big business and body image. The Illusionist is available for purchase or rental exclusively on VHX. All the details are available on www.theillusionist.org. We'll put a link in the show description. We're going to be playing more clips from the documentary throughout this episode. And thank you so much to Eleanor for sharing and sending them to us. We hear and talk about cosmetic surgery a lot. The media keeps us informed, or at least speculates, on which celebrity has got what done, as well as sharing horror stories of when surgery has gone wrong. Today, we can even watch people going under the knife on national primetime television. Also, it's not uncommon for us to, among our friends to have conversations about whether we would ever get any work done, and if so, when and why and which procedure, and what would it mean to do it? But I think it's important for us to start off by defining what cosmetic surgery actually is and what counts as a cosmetic surgery procedure. Okay, so cosmetic surgery, also referred to as aesthetic surgery, is a branch of plastic surgery solely devoted to the improvement or enhancement of an individual's physical appearance by improving aesthetic appeal, symmetry and proportion. Cosmetic surgery can be performed in all areas of the head, neck and body. And because the targeted areas for treatment function properly, cosmetic surgery is elective. Right, so cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery aren't actually synonymous terms, and in fact are based on different philosophies with respect to the goals for patient outcomes. While cosmetic surgery is entirely focused on quote-unquote enhancing a patient's appearance, plastic surgery is intended to correct dysfunctional areas of the body and is reconstructive in nature. Plastic surgery is defined as a surgical specialty dedicated to reconstruction of facial and body defects due to birth disorders, 
burns and disease. For example, like breast reconstruction after a mastectomy or the functional repair of a cleft palate. Yes, I think that's an important distinction. Cosmetic surgery includes invasive procedures such as breast enhancements, so breast augmentations, lifts and reductions, facial contouring, for example rhinoplasty or a nose job, Facial rejuvenation, such as facelifts and body contouring, which includes liposuction and tummy tucks. Then, you have what are called non-invasive treatments, like Botox and laser hair removal. But let's move on and talk about just how common these procedures are. Okay, so last year saw a record number of people undergoing cosmetic surgery in the UK, with more than 51,000 men and women having procedures to alter their appearance, spending a huge £3.6 billion. In 2015, the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons saw a 13% increase in the number of invasive cosmetic operations compared to 2014's figures. For women, breast augmentation was the most popular procedure. Wait, so a boob job? Yep, specifically one that makes your boobs bigger. Eyelid surgery, facelifts, breast reductions and liposuction were the next four most popular invasive surgeries for women. Statistics show that the number of each of these five procedures increased by 12 to 20 percent from 2014 to 2015. Similar trends are apparent globally, with market research predicting the global cosmetic surgery industry to grow at a rate of 7 percent over the next four years. This is said to be due to the increased popularity and acceptance of cosmetic surgery in the world's largest cosmetic markets, the USA, Brazil, South Korea, India and Mexico which together reflects 43% of the entire global market, as well as the rise of new and emerging markets across Asia, Eastern Europe and South America. Right, and the US, which is currently the world's largest market for cosmetic surgery, has seen a 115% increase in the total number of annual procedures since the turn of the millennium. Yes, and according to American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, Americans spent more than $13.5 billion on aesthetic procedures in 2015, a $1.5 billion increase since 2014. Okay, now I think it's time to hear a second clip from The Illusionists, this time from author, speaker and filmmaker Dr Jean Kilborn. One example of information that gets suppressed is the side effects or the dangers, let's say, of plastic surgery. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, before and after makeover programs that show women transformed by liposuction or breast implants or facelifts, but there's not very much coverage of the side effects or the risks and the real dangers, because this would, of course, not be in the interest of the sponsors. Although the conglomerates and the corporations that control everything are, are multinational, the culture that they sell is American. And it's American popular culture that is sold all over the world, all around the world. You certainly see this these days wherever you go, where there are the same chain stores, the same um, Starbucks, the same Gap, the same Abercrombie, everywhere. The American image of ideal beauty has become, to a great extent, the international image of ideal beauty. So we get Asian women having surgery, trying to get rounder eyes, for example. Because wherever American popular culture goes, the public health problems that are associated with it follow. Now time for our first expert. We're delighted to introduce plastic surgeon and senior consultant, Dr. Nigel Mercer. 
Nigel is the former president of the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Nigel has been working with us here at CAR for many years and has been involved in numerous projects as well as sitting on our steering committee. Hi Nigel, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. Can you start by telling me about some of the trends in cosmetic surgery that you've observed throughout your career? When I started in plastic surgery, it was quite a long time ago now, I have to say. Um, there was really one, only one type of breast augment, there was one type of facelift, there was one type of breast reduction, um, and cosmetic surgery was relatively straightforward. The, I think the biggest thing was that the, the, the USA were holding fort really at that stage and there was the trend of looking different so every rhinoplasty made the patient look different every facelift made them look different and that trend continues a little bit in the USA and it's one of the reasons why a lot of people are vilified in public for having cosmetic surgery because they do look different so what's happened in the last well since I've been a consultant I've never really undertaken that type of surgery but what's happening now in Europe in particular, and more in America, is that people are now realising they just want to get rid of the bit that makes them look tired or old or, you know, sad, as opposed to looking completely different human beings. Um, and I think that's the big change, that people just, they now know that cosmetic surgery doesn't have to make them look different. It can just make them look less tired. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so what most concerns you about where the industry is going? I think the, the biggest fear for for me as an individual and for the associations, professional associations, are the fact that women are being captured, and I, I use the word captured deliberately, by the industry at a very, very early stage. Um, and so there's been, there are words about advertising because, you know, nine-year-old, eight-year-old will see adverts on TV, they'll see adverts in the back of mum's magazines, they'll hear the conversations that adults are having about uh, people undergoing cosmetic surgery. And more and more and more young women are coming in for things like lip fillers. So they're not happy with their lips as they are naturally, so they start having lip fillers as early as they can. And the problem with all of the injectables and all of the things you can put underneath the skin are that they actually damage the skin. Each injection, no matter how it's done, leaves a little bit of scarring behind after 10 or 15 years, you get thread veins in the skin if they keep on being done. Mm -hmm. And eventually the skin laxity goes and, and, and they just don't work anymore. But by that stage, the patient is so inured to the fact they've got to have a treatment that they carry on with that. And then they end up being preyed upon by unscrupulous people within the market. We're probably the worst in the world for having big businesses who sell procedures to patients. In most other parts of the world, it's the surgeon who gives advice as opposed to selling a procedure. Yeah, so, so what are your thoughts? You touched on, on marketing and advertising for cosmetic surgery. What are your thoughts in terms of how that should be handled or regulated? My personal view is that it should be banned. We're, we're not mm -hmm. allowed to advertise um, prescription-only medicines in the United Kingdom. So why are we allowed to, to advertise operations? Um, you know, we're not allowed to advertise Botox. Botox is a, is a, a registered trademark medicine. It's a prescribable medicine only, and therefore you can't advertise Botox. You're breaking the law. Um, 
you know, in the States, you can advertise all sorts of things, and they've had a very significant rise in, in addiction to painkillers because painkillers can be advertised on TV. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, ad- advertising has got to come with a, an element of social responsibility, not just personal responsibility mm-hmm. for it. And the French have banned advertising in cosmetic surgery. They haven't noticed a decrease in the market over there. But it means it's just not in people's faces all the time. It's not in young people's faces all the time. Um, obviously, there are other ways of getting the message across. There's so much on social media now. Mm. And the, 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 the selfie. And, te- and the problem with selfies is we all take them from an angle that accentuates the bit we hate, um, which sort of reinforces your view. But no, I think we would not miss anything if advertising in cosmetic surgery was banned. How would that come about? What would need to happen for that to take place? Well, the Code of Advertising Practice during the Kia review, I was one of the individuals asked to give evidence together with the Code of Advertising Practice in a session of the Kia review. And they felt that because it's it's a product and therefore it can be advertised, it should be advertised. Um, and to some extent, they would say that, wouldn't they? And most people would say as a plastic surgeon, you'd want it to be advertised. But actually... Most of the of the industry, including Barb's, wanted to have advertising banned at that stage. So it would be a question of people persuading the code of advertising practice that this is one area that really does not need to be advertised. Great, thank you. I just have two more questions. So what do you think the importance of psychological screening is before someone undergoes a procedure? It's essential. The, the, the person who's who's talking to any individual from the, the time they make the first phone call, um, that individual needs to speak to someone who's not just a salesperson because you can sell anything to anybody if you try hard enough. But a lot of people who come for cosmetic surgery will, for example, facial cosmetic surgery, they may have had a bereavement in the last two years. They may have lost their job. They may have uh, undergoing marital stress or partnership relationship breakdown, you know, problems with the children. All sorts of things can make people come to have that consultation. And also there's a person with a past history of, of the borderline BDD, borderline personality disorder, that you've got to be able to pick up. It doesn't mean the person shouldn't have something done or can't have something done. But what it does mean is they need to be particularly carefully prepared for the procedures that are being done. And that's not just by the surgeon. They need to be looked after by their GP. Any psychological support they've got already needs to be locked in place. And what I do sometimes is patients who come in with, and they're often with a very plausible request, but their expectation is way beyond what can be achieved or, or they're very blasé about, about the complications, is I would say, look, I think it's really important you actually have a formal session with a, with a psychologist with experience in appearance. And, and we have to remember that not all psychologists know about appearance-related issues. Um, and then if, if they think this is a goer, then we can all approach this together. But it's a team approach. It's not just me doing this on my own. Okay, great. And then so my final question, what would you like to see in the future of the cosmetic surgery industry going forward? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> how, how many am I allowed? Like Desert Island Discs? <laughs> I, I think the important thing is that patients have got to be kept safe. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my old friends and colleagues, a chap called Adam Searle, who's a, a plastic surgeon in London, used to say that the crock of gold in the middle of the table shouldn't alter how that doctor relates to the patient. And I think that's terribly true. Um, I, I don't care how much people learn in private practice, they shouldn't be selling operations to vulnerable or treatments or anything to a vulnerable patient. It's just wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think what's happened because it's seen as a highly lucrative market is that people have come in who are not properly trained to operate or to inject or to do anything to a patient. That needs to be stopped. We probably can't get uh, laws passed in the UK to try and help with that, but the, the efforts have been done at the moment to get credentialing in so that we can check that people are able to do the operations that they're doing. That's going to be terribly important. Um, I think banning advertising would be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And the profession, my profession, having a bit of a heart and a bit of a soul would not go amiss as well. Wonderful. Nigel, thank you so much for your time. It's been really great talking to you. That was plastic and cosmetic surgeon, Dr Nigel Mercer. Time now for our last clip from The Illusionists. And we thought it would be good to hear from a different cultural context. This is plastic and cosmetic surgeon, Dr Tony Nassar, talking about cosmetic surgery in Lebanon. You know, for us as plastic surgeon, there is no ideal. It's not a copy-paste. But uh, usually, I can tell you what people seek here. Usually, women and men uh, are seeking here the ideal body and ideal face. Uh, because in Lebanon, the life is, uh, is more free than the other Arabic countries. Then here, as they show their faces, the same time they, they show their, their body. And mainly in the plastic surgery, it's very famous here that people are doing and they are doing more and more every day and nowadays they talk about it freely in the past it was uh, it was more closed and and uh, like uh, secretly uh, doing it but now it's not at all they talk about it in a social life in a salon in every every place they sit nowadays the plastic surgery the talk of the town and it's a talk of of uh, every day i think the plastic surgery now uh, it entered in the culture of the country now we can see it it's uh, it, it it's matching the culture and it's matching people and we see uh, the the increasing in the demand uh, makes people more free to talk about it makes them more free to seek about it to ask about it and to to ask more and more every day. Uh, lately, I did like top ten plastic surgery. I made like a conference for for four hundred women here in Beirut, and I show them what are the most ten procedures that we do it every day. And the number one was the <coughs> liposuction. Liposculture. It's a very common procedure. We do it every day. Sometimes we do it alone. Sometimes we do it with uh, accompanied with another surgery. But mainly, it's the if we we count by number, it's the number one. And second and third and three and fourth come the nose, the breast. They are the second and third. Then, if we count it, it's a number one liposculture. Uh, man, the number one is the rhino, is the rhinoplasty, the nose job. It's uh, still the number one, and uh, number second is the liposuction. But uh, you know, man uh, today is doing plastic sur- surgery the same way as woman, and uh, he can do 
each kind of plastic surgery that woman did. Uh, he, he does the face, he does the nose, he does the eyes, he does the breast, he does the lipo, he does the tummy tuck. Uh, he, uh, he can do anything like, like any procedure can be done for women. I counted like five years ago, it was, it was 5% and the last year it's 17 it's 17 percent uh, it's high it uh, and it means uh, men are seeking more and uh, asking more yeah uh, the beauty ideal for Lebanese women and men uh, it's a little, a little bit clear now I mean if we we talk about details we talk about uh, uh, big lips about cheeks about small nose about uh, a, a good uh, tight face, uh, we, we, we talk about uh, big boobs, we, we talk about sculptured uh, waist and, and uh, tummy. We talk nowadays, this year, uh, we have a big demand in the butt. Uh, we see that a lot of women are seeking to uh, increase the size of their buttock. It's, uh, very, uh, common, it's a common surgery now. Uh, in the past, it, it was the, the, lay, the late, the late uh, range in, in, in top 10, let's say, and now it's number five. Then it's uh, increasing a lot and a lot of people is asking for it. I think the media is influencing a lot about this field and uh, here the people uh, are very connected with the media, uh, TV, internet, uh, newspapers, uh, 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 magazines, uh, billboards, they are very connecting with this part and the media here is playing a big uh, role in this and uh, due to that they are they they are being very updated with, with with any new technique, with any new surgery in the world and they come here and they ask if we have it or not or if we can have it like that then they are very updated. It's known, you know, it's known now that Lebanon is a center of plastic surgery. It's known in all the world, not only in the Arabic country and Middle East, because every day I receive people, uh, let's say from Kuwait, from uh, Saudi Arabia, from uh, France, from, uh, from uh, England, from USA, from Canada, from Australia. Then we have from all the world they are coming here. Next up, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Nicole Paraskiva, a research fellow here at CAR, to find out more about the psychological research related to cosmetic surgery. Hi Nicole, can we start off talking quite generally about the research around why people choose to undergo cosmetic surgery, and why you think there has been a continued rise in the numbers of cosmetic procedures? Well, I think there are a number of reasons why people are choosing to have cosmetic surgery. I think the fact that there are cheaper and quicker procedures available now, which makes surgery more accessible to um, more people, so it's not just the rich and famous that can afford to have surgery these days. Body dissatisfaction also plays uh, an important role. Uh, research has identified body dissatisfaction as a key predictor for seeking cosmetic surgery. Body dissatisfaction is typically associated with favourable opinions towards cosmetic surgery. But I think also cosmetic surgery has become a lot more normalised these days. There's widespread marketing of cosmetic surgery advertisements, so you're not just seeing these adverts in the back of magazines anymore, they're all over the place. 
and under an underground billboards tv you know facebook social media and i think also um there's lots of reality tv shows depicting cosmetic surgery now and magazine spreads so i think really all that has an impact on the way people view cosmetic surgery so What's the link between cosmetic surgery and really quite serious appearance concerns like body dysmorphic disorder? Well, psychological disorders can certainly influence someone's decision to undergo surgery. So, so you mentioned um, body dysmorphic disorder. Uh, research actually shows that there is a high prevalence of body dysmorphic disorder found in the cosmetic surgery population in comparison to the general population. BDD is actually defined as a preoccupation with an imagined or slight defect in appearance. And so people with BDD can actually turn to surgery to improve their what they consider a perceived defect in their appearance. But what research tends to find is that these individuals are, are typically dissatisfied with their outcome following surgery. Some patients can report no change in their symptoms, or in fact their symptoms can get worse. And Professor David Veal and David Zawa have done lots of brilliant research in this field. And so I think in these instances, psychological interventions such as cognitive behaviour therapy are much more effective and appropriate um, instead of cosmetic surgery. Great, so that leads quite nicely on to our next question as to whether there are now any guidelines or criteria that clinicians use to decide whether cosmetic surgery is the right step for a patient. That's a very good question. There are a number of recommendations um, for clinicians from recent reviews which uh, are there to try and improve the standards of care for patients who are seeking cosmetic surgery. So these recommendations really are there to offer uh, protection for those who are at risk for a poor psychological outcome. Some of these recommendations include a more thorough assessment of patients, uh, which includes screening for known risk factors for a poor outcome. So for example, the Keogh inquiry into the regulation of cosmetic procedures and the professional standards of cosmetic practice really highlight the importance of patient selection and patient assessment with the idea of minimising risks for poor outcomes for patients and practitioners. Uh, there's also been some um, recent guidance from the GMC for doctors who offer cosmetic procedures and these guidelines really discuss the idea of considering patients' vulnerabilities and psychological needs. There are also nice guidelines which set out a number of questions that aesthetic providers can ask their patients and these really tap into body dysmorphic disorder and they're there to try and work out whether their patient has a, a disproportionate preoccupation with their appearance. So I think there are a number of recommendations and guidelines out there but as far as I'm aware, there's no mandatory guidelines yet. Mm, yes, protecting patients is definitely important. So can you tell us a bit more about the screening tool that you've been working on with Professors Nicola Rumsey and Alex Clark? Um, sure. So what we know is that most patients are happy and satisfied after they've had cosmetic surgery. But there's also a um, minority, a substantial minority, 
who aren't happy and actually have poor outcomes following surgery. And um, working with Professor Nicola Rumsey and um, Dr. Alex Clark, we're trying to work out how we can best support the minority, so the group that are at a higher risk of a poor outcome. So we have developed a psychological screening tool uh, with the idea that it can help providers identify patients who might be at high risk of having a poor outcome after cosmetic surgery and so that they'll be signposted to more appropriate treatments or referral pathways. So what we know from talking to clinicians is that for a psychological screening tool to actually be used you know, in real life and in their practice, it has to be short and easy to use. And that's why we developed our screening tools, only nine questions, and they tap into key psychological factors that we know play a role in adjustment to cosmetic surgery. So for example, a question that asks patients about their expectations. So what they're hoping cosmetic surgery will achieve. Um, research shows that patients who have really unrealistic expectations about their outcomes, both surgical and you know the psychosocial benefits that might come from having cosmetic surgery, that they're more likely to have a poor outcome. So this is something we've been working on for the past few years, and we've trialled it in a number of private practices across the UK, just to see whether or not surgeons and health providers can use it in their practice and so far the feedback's been positive but we still have a lot of work to do. That's great. So finally, what do you think are important questions to address in the field of appearance research related to cosmetic surgery? Well I think important questions are already being addressed, say for example around psychological screening and looking at what patients might be at a higher risk for a poor outcome. But I think what we need is just a lot more research. We need more of an evidence base. I think studies looking at longer term outcomes, you know, two years, three years, four years, are really important. There's also been a significant increase in the number of people having non-surgical procedures like Botox and there's very little research out there looking at the impact of this. So I think this really should be an area that we focus on in the future. Brilliant. Thanks, Nicole. And thanks for joining us. It was lovely to hear from you. That was Jade talking to CARS Dr. Nicole Paraschiva. Our next guest is clinical psychologist Dr. Francesca Nobili from Italy. Francesca works at a private cosmetic surgery clinic in Padua, and she recently visited us at the CAR offices in Bristol. I caught up with her to talk more about her work at the clinic. Hi Francesca, thank you so much for joining us today. Can we start by you telling us a bit about your role as a clinical psychologist based at a cosmetic surgery clinic? Like, what are your main responsibilities? I work in a private practice, cosmetic and plastic surgery. So we had like a screening routine for the patient that are undergoing cosmetic surgery plastic surgery especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm there to help people uh, to understand the motivation and expectation about uh, their uh, surgical operation and to understand if they are in line with the uh, results that, that the surgeon prospect to them or uh, if they are expecting something that is impossible to achieve. So is it common to have a clinical psychologist in a cosmetic surgery clinic in Italy? 
unfortunately not. Mm-hmm. Especially in private practice, it's not very common. We had some uh, psychologists in a, a public hospital. So there are psychologists that maybe helps also people that are going to those cosmetic surgery, but it's not specialized in this field. And so for this reason, for me, could be a great opportunity to enter in the cost action and to come to visit you in Bristol mm-hmm. because it's not a practice very spread in Italy. Okay, now in your experience, what do you find patients' expectations of surgery are? In the practice, we are running now the rough car uh, version that you invent in, mm-hmm. in, in car. And there's a special question in which we ask uh, uh, what you think that it will be different after the, the, the surgery. Mm-hmm. And all the people say, I will be more confident with myself. I will, be, I will feel better with the people. Uh, I mean, not all, of course, but it's uh, very common to read something like this. So I think that expectation with the, the people, I think they have two expectations. One they tell to themselves and one that is real. Mm-hmm. I mean, they maybe come because they want a new, no- a new nose or a new ears or they want to change because they feel like too uh, old or something like this. Mm-hmm. But they want to feel more confident. I mean, uh, what I think that the, the real expectation is. And again, in your experience, what, what do you find affects patient outcomes? So why are some people satisfied with the procedures they have and others are not so? In my practice, this answer is very linked with the previous one. Mm-hmm. I mean, when one person is conscious about his expectation, I think the outcome would be it will be more happy with his outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. when they come and they want us to change the nose, the problem is just the nose, and they are conscious that nothing more will change in his life, just mm-hmm. the nose, then the outcome is very positive they have a new nose Uh but when they come and they tell to themselves I want a new nose but the real expectation is I want to change something in my life Mm -hmm. I want my life goes better I want to feel more confident or feel better with the people then a new nose don't give you something like Mm -hmm. something like this so the outcome could be poor Okay, and we were talking a bit about this in Bristol, but can you tell us a bit about when surgeons at your clinic decide not to carry out a procedure? I mean, I will I will tell you about just my practice mm-hmm. because as I told you in Bristol, um, I work in a very uh, happy place mm-hmm. where, and it's not the case. I mean that they have a psychologist, so they are very... They carry a lot about the patient mm-hmm. and so they are very careful to to decide to operate or not so mm-hmm. for example uh, children before people before 18 years old they don't operate or people that are expectation very far away from reality or people that want something very um, big or very not harmonic with his body for example mm-hmm. uh, um, person who want to have a big, big breast for argumentation, for example. So something is not harmonic. Mm-hmm. So that's part of calculation, medical calculation about what is harmonic for your body. Also, uh, they don't do operation to people that are not conscious about their expectation. 
because for, for sure that they are very caring about the patient, mm -hmm. but also they don't want to have, for example, problem after the operation, some, for example, legal issues or something mm -hmm. that can occur if people don't, are not uh, very uh, happy with the results. Of course. Okay, now your practice seems quite unique. Can you tell us a bit about the background and how that came about? Why, why, is, why is your clinic so invested in, in having a clinical psychologist on board? The surgeon, maybe uh, he has a great experience. So mm -hmm. he has experience himself with a psychologist. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe he's like more sensitive about this theme, but also because um, plastic surgeons often are picked by legal issues after uh, the operation. Mm -hmm. So they want to understand why some, the, the, the question you told me about uh, why some people is happy with results and someone else not. Mm -hmm. That's a big question for surgeon as well, because there is not surgeons that wants to have a unhappy patient because of their work, because they want in a like in a good way of their work of, of what they want to do, but also for these, his um, reputation. So um, they want to understand which patient could be a good candidate for an operation and why or, or who cannot. Mm -hmm. So I think this could the reason why I'm there. Uh, and then step by step, entering the, after my entrance in the construction and after my collaboration with all of you, of course, the, uh, also the collaboration with the um, private practice and with the surgeons become like more tight. But in the beginning, was like, um, okay, we had this question we cannot answer by it, so maybe a psychologist can help us. Mm -hmm. And was like, uh, okay, just try. And was a good try. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been great. Thank you to all of you. That was Nadia talking to Francesca Nobli from Padua, Italy. And that brings us to the end of this episode on cosmetic surgery. We hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if you did, please take a moment to rate us. Five stars, please. And review us on iTunes, as it makes a big difference in terms of getting the podcast out there to a wider audience. The podcast turned one last month, so think of a review like a little birthday gift. It will make us so happy. Anyway, a massive thank you to Eleanor, Francesca, Nigel and Nicole for helping us with this episode. And join us next time in 2017 when we are going to be talking about body image and mindfulness.